I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. I'm on a mountain. I'm on a roller coaster, sailing across the sky. And the only trouble is in wondering why. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. If you're watching on the National NRB Network, DirecTV Channel 378, or if you're listening on Radio KUTR AM 820, The Truth, we welcome you. You know, not everyone can watch Heart of the Matter on television. And some of you have to go to the archives and watch it at www.hotm.tv. Others check out the numerous clips that have been put on YouTube. Uh, HOTM uh, can also be seen live through streaming video on the internet. Just go to www.hotm.tv, click on streaming, and you can get Heart of the Matter right now live anywhere in the world as we speak. I was a born-again Mormon, moving toward Christian authenticity. It's a book we hope you will consider as it, come, as it helps you understand the differences between Mormonism and biblical Christianity and what spiritual rebirth is. We think it's a good book at addressing these present-day issues that stand between Mormonism and modern Christianity. The book is available at www.bornagainmormon.com, but it's also available through Utah Lighthouse Ministry. That's utlm.org. Christian Gift and Bible, and Lifeway Christian Bookstores. Okay, some important announcements. Ready? I'm going to go through them fast. First, we've had a change of address. Get a pencil and paper. If you're still sending things to an old address, I'll give you the new one in a second. Second, 2011 is going to be a year in guests. We're going to have guests every week of 2011. Invitations are going out as we speak, particularly to the First Presidency and all the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. That means all of you out there think you have something to say. We will consider... Uh, your desire to defend or discuss your faith. So just email us. Third, remember Saturday, September 4th uh, at Bountiful City Park, we're having our fifth annual Burning Heart Revival. That's a great time. We do uh, say goodbye to summer, gather together with like-minded believers, listen to the sound of Adam's Road and other great bands, eat, drink, get baptized, whatever. It's fun. Mark your calendar Saturday, September 4th, 5 to 8 p.m., fifth annual Burning Heart Revival in Bountiful. Fourth, how about joining us for a weekly verse-by-verse -verse Bible study? I don't think there's anything better to do with your time, honestly, than to study the Word of God. It's like swallowing rays of sun. It is so beautiful. We meet every Sunday without fail, God willing, at the U of U in Salt Lake City. We used to meet also at our North Campus at Alpine Church, but a good brother who is in ministry school and learning the Bible, Brandon, 
is going to devote more of his time to full-time study. He works full-time. He's got a family, uh, but he wants to finish full-time before he continues to teach up there at Alpine. So that is on a temporary hold. So right now, all we're doing is uh, at the U of U on Sundays from 2.30 to 3.30. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like directions. Fifth, and also on Sundays, AM 820, The Truth, KUTR replays Heart of the Matter programs for your listening enjoyment. That's every Sunday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Tune in and as you're making your way possibly to the Bible study. All right, did you grab that pen and paper? Look on the screen, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. You can also email us at sean at aletheamedia.com or you can call our toll-free number on your screen at 1-888-868-4686. What I'm about to say is going to disturb some of you, but it's going to kind of launch us into something we are going to be addressing from here on out. When did Christianity become the force, the forcing of Christian values upon an unsaved world? We can look at 13th century inquisitions where the church attempted to root out heresy through torture and burning people at the stake. No? How about the Crusades, nine of them which began in 1095 with Pope Urban II's plea for Christians to rise up and retake Jerusalem from Muslim control, which only led to eight more Crusades for further world domination and a rallying cry of Deus Volt, which ironically mean God wills it. Really? Was God the author of 16th century uh, of the leader of the supposed Reformation, John Calvin? who I believe set the stage for a current ugly predicament we find ourselves in by presupposing that he had the, quote, authority of God in all worldly manners and inflicted even death upon those who disagreed with him. Is this where it all started with believers in Christ somehow coming to think that hand in hand with their faith, hope, and charity also comes the God-authored duty, even the God-authored right, to reform social ills and condemn the socially ill? Just when did being a believer in Christ come with the presupposition that good Christians must also embrace certain political philosophies, parties, governments, looks, and lifestyles? When did the doors of Christ shut on certain people groups we deem morally bankrupt? Did we begin to roll forward uh, with this plan when Princeton Seminary Professor of Theology Cornelius Van Til adopted Calvin's ideas and forged them into this modern movement within the church that focuses on social salvation rather than the salvation of the soul of sinners by grace? Did we see it take root with the driving words of Reverend Jerry Falwell and his moral majority, or televangelist Pat Robertson, who both led the way to a burst of social activism of the Christian right in the 1980s and 90s? And where do we find ourselves today? Fighting for Jesus as the only way to love and truth and acceptance and salvation, or fighting against secular evils like homosexuality, abortion, pornography, evolution, divorce, and the like. I mean, what are we called to do? What are we called to be as Christians? Well, what were the words of Christ at the Great Commission? He said, go forth and be ye right-wing political anti-homosexual anti abortion activists, right? 
No. Or did he say, go forth and picket abortion clinics so that people can know that's what Christians do? Or did he say, go forth and boycott McDonald's because their nutritional values are terrible? What is the gospel? What it is, what is it and what isn't it? And what should we share as Christians? Perhaps most importantly, where do we find any biblical directive as believers in Jesus to fight the world and its failures along with or instead of sharing him, Jesus, as the light in this fallen world? This is the first clarion call from our ministry to all believers in Christ. Teach the message of redemption by grace through faith to any and all, everywhere, who are willing to hear at any time. Drop the protest signs, resign from your political action committees, and renounce your lifelong homage to serving the God of social salvation. Love others, forgive others, embrace all. Of course, never soft-sell Christianity or what God sees as sin. But remember, you, while you are in your sin, have been redeemed by His glorious grace. So to share this glorious message with all who will hear and leave the fighting against the world to those who are of this world. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord in heaven, we love you and we need you and we praise you. And we pray you will help us share the message of Christ Jesus crucified, risen, and our Savior with people and not become focused on social salvation, but eternal salvation that comes only by the shed blood of your Son and faith in it. We pray for our staff, our, our volunteers, our technical stuff, our audience tonight. We pray for the audiences wherever they may be that your message will go forward and the things I say which are wrong will just die and evaporate, but the things that are of you will grow in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's one thing religious visionaries, charlatans, and cult leaders love to promote, it's their special vision of what the afterlife, specifically what heaven or hell, if they embrace those concepts, is going to look like. Where the Bible is unusually silent on the specific issues regarding heaven, religious con men and women just love to fill in the gaps and tell us what to expect if we follow them, of course. Egyptians believed the soul was ferried across the Nile to the kingdoms of the dead and that these souls were put to work out in a field. The Greeks had their mythological Elysian fields, a landscape of wavering grass and clear running streams, and a place of rest for, of course, the heroic. Vikings had Valhalla, a special place, of course, for heroic warriors too. And it was equipped with its own beer hall. I think the Vikings may have been onto something there. Just kidding. Zoroastrians have our souls going through this long, torturous process, kind of like being thrown in a blender for a really long time until you finally come out at the end. And Islam teaches that the soul goes to Jannah at, uh, at the final judgment day, but it remains in some varying degree of comfort or discomfort depending on the life you have lived. Founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith Jr. imagined his own version of heaven and the most faithful Latter-day Saints today have it constantly in their crosshairs. They call it the Celestial Kingdom. 
Mormons state that all human beings first lived in heaven with Heavenly Father and that we will all return to some semblance of heaven with a few exceptions in the hereafter. Before we talk about Mormonism's view on heaven, let me explain what the Bible says about the place. That's what we do here is we compare and contrast Mormonism with biblical Christianity. So first of all, we know that not only does the Bible maintain that Jesus came down from heaven, but he, as he says it, he came down from above. So who the Bible, let's first talk about who the Bible says came from heaven, all right? John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus, said in John 3.31, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly. And speaketh of the earth, he that cometh from heaven is above all. Speaking of himself, Jesus said, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. How anyone believes they came from heaven after hearing Jesus say this about himself alone is beyond me. How anyone believes in a pre-existent state after Jesus saying, I am the only one who came from heaven and I'm the only one who's going to return there from this, that place to this place and back to that. Jesus further clarifies in John 8, 23. Listen, ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. Even Paul differentiated between Jesus coming from heaven and the rest of humankind being of the earth when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. I'm going to talk about that in a minute in these passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Secondly, how does the Bible describe heaven? According to the Jewish notion, there were three levels of heaven. Uh, our atmosphere, or what they called the firmament, as they say like the fowls of heaven or the eagles of heaven and it's just talking about the place where animals and creatures will fly and, and planes will fly now in our atmosphere then there were the starry heavens which would include things like our galaxy where we have those heavens and and even our universe i would suspect and then we have what they call the heaven of heavens or the third heaven that's the place where god dwells now, the original Hebrew word for heavens is shamayim, and it is a plural form, and it means heights or elevations. And so we know that heaven, one, is above us, okay? There is also a number of other words in Scripture that are used for heaven. They include mar, maram, which is, means high place, galgal, which literally means, it means wheel, and it's also rendered heaven in Psalm 77, 18. And the rock band Journey incorporated this concept into the song, Wheel in the sky keeps on turning. That's the wheel, and it's talking about heaven in that song. Shahak re is rendered sky and clouds, and it refers to our atmosphere, heaven, or firmament. Rakia is closely connected to firmamentum in the Vulgate and means a solid expanse. 
In terms of its spiritual meaning, however, heaven is a place of everlasting blessedness of the righteous, the abode of departed spirits. This is what Jesus calls heaven, his Father's house. He calls it paradise. It is also called the heavenly Jerusalem in scripture, the kingdom of heaven. Funny, not the heavenly Utah, but the heavenly Jerusalem, or not the heavenly Adam on Diamond, but the heavenly Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, the eternal heaven, the eternal inheritance, a better country. It's called in Hebrews, Abraham's bosom. It is referred to as Jesus spoke of heaven as a literal reality. It is the place our spirits everyone's spirits head toward if they have the requirements needed for entrance. The requirements for heaven have been greatly manipulated by men and women too, seeking for control over people. Some say payment of money is necessary uh, to enter into heaven. Others say a life of servile obedience. Others say membership in this particular religion or that. Some, like Brigham Young, have said that things like, quote, only those who enter polygamy can enter into the celestial kingdom and become gods. But specifically regarding heaven, what does the Bible say is required? So this brings us to the next graphic and our third point. And let's make a list right now. What the Bible says about gaining heaven. First, humility. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Isaiah wrote, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. This is God himself speaking, and he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So we know that Humility is a prerequisite. Few things uh, bring about more humility in us than a recognition and an admitting of our sin. Openly seeing ourselves as sinners. Something that is obviously and, and constantly absent from the LDS mindset. So we know from the Lord that humility is requisite. We also know from the Lord that you must be born again to see heaven. He, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot, listen, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I love this point because upon it, all things hang. Our humility, our good works, the love, everything hangs upon our ability to do those things that please the Father and that only comes by this uh, spiritual rebirth. We know the Apostle James, what he said about being heirs to the kingdom of God, right? He said, listen, has not God chosen, listen, the poor of this world rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to them that love him. So according to James, a person who is an heir to the kingdom of heaven will be a person who is poor of this world, but rich in faith, and those who love him. Scripture also adds that those who have been born again, walk by faith and love, will also perform services of love, and these two will inherit heaven. Listen to Matthew 25, 34 through 36. Jesus says, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, merit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? He says, 
For I was an hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. We also know from the book of Acts that enduring trials are certainly for those who are going to enter heaven. When the apostles were teaching believers, they said, or they exhorted them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God or heaven. So uh, that can be a little bit scary, but he who is in us is far stronger than he who is without. And finally, we must hear what the Lord uh, dictated in Luke 6, or 9.62, when he said this final uh, element of heaven, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So let me go back and so we have to endure according to that and let me just give you what the Bible says in a nutshell and I think we have a graphic for this. We must possess humility. We must experience spiritual rebirth. We must be poor in the things of this world. Now understand that means not making the things of this world our priorities. We can be rich but we're poor in terms of our response to the thing of this world. Be rich in faith and love. Clothe and feed the poor and visit the sick and imprisoned. Endure trials and tribulations and once enlisted in the army of God, never look back, meaning never look back to the things of this world. It sounds like a huge list, but remember, it is all, even our acts towards the poor and the imprisoned, based on our heart. Uh, it is from our humble attitude of faith and love, from a regenerated heart, that these things flow. Remember Jesus said, you can do many wonderful works, and I'm going to say, I don't even know who you are. So that born-again element is really key to understanding heaven's access to. Now, you may have noticed that the Bible said nothing about entering heaven because of marriage for eternity, or paying tithing, or obeying the Sabbath day, or keeping dietary laws, or going to the temple and doing the, the covenants, or doing home teaching, or fulfilling church callings, or receiving priesthoods, or uh, anything like that. Just matters of the heart, humility, faith, and love. Finally, these verses describe the inhabitants of heaven and what we will experience. Ready? This is what will heaven be like. 2 Corinthians 4.17 tells us that in heaven, the blessedness of the righteous consists in possessing life everlasting, an eternal weight of glory, and an exemption from all suffering forever. 2 Corinthians 5.12 states that we will be delivered from all evils and from the society of the wicked. Luke, 2 Corinthians, 1 Peter, 1 John say we will experience bliss without termination and fullness of joy forever. And Luke 20.36 says that we will be as the angels who were created in, to exist in heaven. And Revelation 7 says we will wear robes of white for at least part of the time. 2 Timothy 4.8 says we will receive crowns for whatever those are. So remember, the believer's heaven is not a state only of everlasting blessedness, but it's a place. And Jesus even said, I go to prepare a place for you. Enter Joseph Smith and his teachings on heaven. Now remember, when I speak of heaven as a Christian, I am speaking of heaven, only heaven, one heaven, and nothing but heaven. To Christians, there is heaven and there is hell. But Joseph Smith, part of his twistianity was to compartmentalize heaven with everyone going there, with a few exceptions, 
And with there being three levels, okay? The telestial kingdom, where non-believers in Jesus, liars, adulterers, murderers, and the like go. This is a heaven. If I understand it right, Hitler would go to this heaven where Joseph Smith said you would be tempted to kill yourself to get there. It's so glorious. And, and you got to remember that Joseph Smith was raised in a universalist family who their fa his father and grandfather believed that everybody is saved. And that, that fell down into Joseph's heart. And so he developed a universalist approach which differed from the Christians at the time. They were saying heaven, hell. Joseph couldn't deal with that and try to please his father and his ancestors who believed in universalism. So he concocted an everything is heaven except there's different degrees of it. The terrestrial kingdom is the second place, and that's where good men and women go who believe in Jesus, but they're blinded by the philosophies of men, and they're, for instance, they believe the Bible to be the word, infallible word of God. That would be people like, well, like people who like, are in my audience who, who love the Lord, and they believe the Bible, and they follow Jesus, and they try to do what he wants in love and faith. They are going to go to the, to the terrestrial kingdom, according to Joseph Smith, because they were valiant in their own faith given, but they are not going to be exalted, okay? Now, the celestial kingdom is only for the LDS. Remember this. Because the pass to get into the door of the celestial kingdom is being baptized by a Mormon with the LDS priesthood, whether on this earth or vicariously through their temple work. So this celestial kingdom, remember there's three degrees, there's telestial, terrestrial, and celestial. This celestial kingdom has three levels in itself, okay? You enter it through baptism. Faith, baptism, gift of the Holy Ghost by all those holding the proper authority, and repentance. You enter into that celestial kingdom. But there's three levels there. Uh, in Doctrine and Covenants 131, 1 through 3, it says, In the celestial glory there are three heavens or degrees. Now, note that the word degree originates completely from the Masonic temples. They have degrees. You're a 33rd degree Mason. You're this degree. That is exactly where Joseph Smith got degrees of heaven from, was from the Masons. And the Doctrine and Covenants goes on to say, And in order to obtain the highest within that celestial kingdom, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, which is referring to the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. A man must be married in a temple with this priesthood forever, and if he does not, he cannot obtain it, okay? So where Mormon water baptism gets a person into the celestial kingdom, it takes Mormon marriage and a life of strict obedience to what they call the celestial law in order to, within that celestial kingdom, rise between those three levels and get to the very top. At the very top level, this is what the LDS have their crosshairs focused on, getting to the highest level of the celestial kingdom because there they become gods, okay? And in Mormonism, this level of heaven is known synonymously as exaltation or eternal life, okay? That's what eternal life means, the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. Access to it, as I said, is only through strict obedience and being married, receiving the priesthood through the temple. Referring to this law, 10th LDS President Joseph Fielding Smith said in his book, ironically, The Way to Perfection, uh, to enter the celestial and obtain exaltation, it is necessary that the whole law be kept. And this is what you see all around you, my friends. 
the clean cut Mormons knocking on your door, those neighbors who are so delightful, who keep their garden trimmed, and they, they attend their meetings, and they're soft-spoken, and they're kind, and they usually, and they do all these things. These are the highest level ones who are saying, we have our crosshairs on that highest degree, and we, through our strict obedience, are going to make it to that, that level of heaven. Current LDS president, Thomas Monson, clarified the whole reason and process entering, of entering heaven when he said in the May 1988 uh, issue of the Ensign, page 56, it is the celestial glory we seek. It is in the presence of God we desire to dwell. It is a forever family in which we want membership. Such blessings must be earned. Okay? So now you have the... You have Jesus who says, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you have Monson saying that in order to be forever with your family, and, you, and in order to get this celestial glory, you know, he talks a lot about glory, that guy, that in order to get all that, those blessings must be earned. Where did the term celestial or terrestrial originate? They came from Joseph Smith reading and deciphering 1 Corinthians chapter 15, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to let you in on a little insight, and then we're going to open up the phones, and I'm going to cover 1 Corinthians chapter 15 next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is an excellent resource for Christians to open it up and say, I want you, Latter-day Saint friend, family member, whatever, to read this chapter with me. Because while you're reading it, it's going to reveal to you several things. First of all, it, I'll, we'll just call it the 1 Corinthians chapter 15 challenge. Uh, by reading it verse by verse, you'll see that verse 8 completely refutes apostolic succession. Okay? There's no need for any more apostles. Verse 8 will refute that. Verse 12 through 32 contextually teaches what the practice of baptism for the dead was and how to understand it instead of reading just those two verses, you read verses 12 through 32 and you will get an understanding of what it's saying. The whole thing of chapter 15 teaches about resurrection and refutes the LDS levels of heaven, so to speak. Verses 46 and 47 refutes the LDS notion of a pre-existence. And verses 56 through 58 refutes their uh, view that salvation is earned by works of the law. So, when you, if you are trying to reach somebody and you have an open dialogue and you can talk, you say, you present your Book of Mormon uh, thing to me and then let me present 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and go through it verse by verse and read and you'll come up with at least five, if not six or seven points that just smother Mormonism and Joseph Smith's teaching of it. I'm not going to go into 1 Corinthians 15. I had it already, but it's too long. We usually open up for the phones by now. So we're going to do that. 801-973-TV20. Uh, 801-973-8820. And uh, please, first-time callers, uh, LDS callers are taken first. And uh, turn down your television sets if you can. We'll come back and answer your phone, emails, and uh, see you after we look at this brief message. All right, grab a pencil. Just grab something to write with. Um, we have tried to do this spot several times. I don't even know what time of day it is anymore. I've been sitting here so long. And, but what we are, want to tell you is 
Heart of the Matter has been blessed greatly in trying to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ, especially those who are in the LDS Church. We contend for the faith each and every week for five years. We have hundreds of programs, and by the grace of God, the fruit has been plentiful and we're seen all over the world. But this medium that we've chose, chosen called TV is very expensive, and we need you to help us stay on the air. So there are ways that you can do it, and we want you to partner with us. That's what we're asking you to do. So write this phone number down, 888-868-4686. You can also go online. You can go to www.hotm.tv. Or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Again, let me give you that information. You can call us at 888-868-4686. You can sign up to be a partner by going online at hotm.tv. Or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. The Lord has taken this in spite of the host, in spite of the technical inability for me to get this partner's program down right. But we need you, and if he inclines your heart and you're interested, please contact us and help us keep the program on the air. God bless you. Uh, get a lot of comments and questions from people off the air. They don't want to be heard on the show. And so uh, let me first mention, last week we got a guy who called, and he, uh, he was online on hold, and you're probably watching him right now for a long time. And he wasn't a first-time caller, and he wasn't LDS. Well, last week we also had at least five to maybe even six LDS callers who were willing to talk. And this guy was put on hold for the whole show, and he called back and got really irritated. In fact, he said, you know, I'm a supporter of this ministry. And, uh, and you tell Sean McCraney, if he doesn't take our calls, he's going to start losing support. And so I want to say, keep your freaking money. We don't care, okay? If you think that you can buy off the opportunity to come in and be on the show, and you don't see that our purpose is to reach the LDS, and they're calling, and we're having a dialogue with them, then just take your money and keep it, Mr. Supporter, who needs to be on the air so he can hear himself talk. Just come on. I mean, our, we had LDS callers who were searching and talking last week, and you call our operators and you give them a hassle because you're a supporter and you can't get on. It's unbelievable. So keep your money if that's what it's based on, all right? The Lord will provide. Secondly, Uh, Daniel from Cartersville, Georgia. We're going to get to you in a minute. Dave from Clearfield, Utah. Dave, another Dave asks, how old is the world? The Jewish calendar says the world is 5,770 years old. How old is mankind? Dave, I have absolutely no idea. None. And in fact, there's guys who really are into all that. I don't know anything, man. I don't know about dinosaurs. I don't know how old the earth is. I don't know if angels have feathered wings or wings of plastic or whatever they, I don't know any mysteries, none. I just know that the Lord came and died for me and his shed blood saved me from the life of being a sinner and he helps me be a better man. All the other stuff I leave to the experts and they argue and debate and no one really can tell you. So that's my answer is sophomoric and ugly as it is. Caller wants to know if you know anything about calling and assurance. It's actually calling an election made sure. He says he heard if you have a certain amount of money in the church, you are guaranteed a spot in heaven. That seems to have been the practice of old. I don't know if they still do calling and elections made sure. And just to let the audience know what that is, they used to, in the times and seasons, it was a magazine the LDS published. 
They would write the names of people who received their uh, calling and election made sure. What this refers to is certain secret people being called into the temple and being able to meet Jesus face to face, have a conversation with him, and have him assure them of their salvation. And the way you get to that spot is having lived so perfectly and beautifully in your life that Jesus makes a special visit to the temple. Your stake president or bishop or first presidency gives you a little jingle, says, hey, come on down to the temple today. We have something important, someone important for you to meet. And you come on down and Jesus is there and says, I want to tell you your election made is sure. And, and so that must be a great relief to them because then anything they do wrong is not counted against them. Their election is sure. And I want you to know something that's really beautiful is that every Christian has their calling and election made sure. They don't need to have some special call or pay a certain amount of money. It's by faith. And they know, based on 1 John, that listen, I know I am going to be with God because I know God doesn't lie. And I know God sent his son and his son said, I'm going to shed my blood for you. And if you believe on me, you will be saved. That's what we know. That's a calling election made sure. You can get it much easier and God wants to give it to you and give you that assurance if you just let him. So, you know, take the easier route. Don't do all that hocus pocus stuff. You can have your calling election made sure through Christ and Christ alone. What kind of legal ramifications has Shad had with the LDS church? None. The only time we've had a problem was with the IRS when I started speaking out to get a, a political candidate who was running for office who happened to be LDS, and that got us into some trouble for quite a while. But we're out of it. We're still a 501c3. The IRS did not revoke our tax-exempt uh, stuff. Okay, Daniel in Georgia. Daniel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Daniel? Yeah. You're on the air, man. All right. Uh, I got a question and a comment. Okay. Uh, the question is, I have a friend of mine who is ex-LDS. He grew up Mormon, uh, went to Brigham Young University, married in the temple, the whole nine yards. Okay. He told me that Brigham Young at one point gave a patriarchal blessing to somebody that said that he would one day serve a mission to men that dress like Quakers on the moon. Oh, yeah. Is this true? You know, I have heard that is uh, true. I've read things uh, through utlm.org, and that's the best place, Daniel, to go www.utlm.org, type in Quakers, and you will find an abundance of information. And in fact, uh, I'll have to come back and tell the audience next week if that was true or not. The problem is the apologists of Mormonism today, what they'll say is, you know, G Brigham Young couldn't even joke. He couldn't even goof around. One day he was sitting out there on the porch and this kid walked by and he said, come here, you little rascal. You know, someday you're going to go to that moon and teach Quakers. And somebody recorded it and they said it was doctrine, but there was just a, a passing comment from the old prophet, you know, between him visiting his different wives. So, uh, but, you know, it, uh, you'd have to find out from utlm.org. I don't know if it's really factual or not. Check it out and let us know. For sure. Um, yeah, all right. And the comment I have is um, I'm uh, Jewish by birth, but I believe in Jesus. Um, Upbringing in Judaism is actually very uh, almost secular, but I gotta—I just want to say—if there's any LDS watching right now, do you have peace? I want to ask you if you have peace, and if you can answer me yes, I want to ask you to check again. Do you have peace? Do I have peace? Because I gotta tell you right now, I—I I, I am Jewish and I believe in Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is Lord. He's Messiah. And he's the Son of God. Okay. I got to tell you, I have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. My sins have been forgiven because I've never sinned. Is that why I'm clean? No, but because 
he has made me clean, and I trust in his righteousness, not in my works. I still observe Rosh Hashanah, Passover, even Hanukkah. I still observe Jewish holidays, but that does not save me. The only thing that saves me is the blood of the Lamb. Praise God. Slain before the foundation of the world. And I want to ask you, search the scriptures, search them, because you will find eternal life. You will find it, and you will, have, you will find rest. You do not know love until you know the Son of God. Praise God. What a great call, Daniel. I applaud you on that one. That's really inspiring. I really appreciate it, my friend. Absolutely. God bless you. God bless you. Thanks. Bye-bye. What a great call. Uh, Dave from Clearfield, Utah. First-time caller. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes, Sean. I've got a question. Hopefully you can answer this for me. Let me put my TV on mute. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, need more volume. Before 1978, the blacks couldn't hold the pre-sode. I'm ex-ODS, by the way. Um, praise the Lord. Thanks to you, partly, by the way, when you first came on the air. Wait, I, I'm having trouble hearing you. Really talk loudly and clearly, David. Okay. Uh, okay. As, um, I'm ex-ODS. Okay. Thanks to you, primarily to Born at the Book. Born Again Mormon. Awesome, I'm a man. Born Again Mormon. Uh, about three and a half, four years ago, I got that somewhere around there. And, uh, and now I'm a Christian. So thank you. You're welcome. Praise God. Okay. Uh, the question is this, and uh, hopefully you can answer this for me. Okay. Before 1978, the uh, blacks couldn't hold the priesthood. Right. Now they can. Probably, you know, after uh, this uh, come, you know, revelation of convenience, they could hold the priesthood. Um, so now they can reach, they can gain the fullest level of exaltation within the celestial kingdom. Yeah. Um, now, now, I'm just saying all this, and you correct me where I'm wrong. As of, you know, after they were, they could get the priesthood. But what about those blacks before 1978? Yeah. So yeah. I'll get off the air, you know what I'm saying? What, what about them? This is <coughs> weird. Like, after 1978, the blacks can get the priesthood, and they can reach the, you know, the highest level of heaven if they're temple-worthy and all these other rituals we, yeah. where they must go through. Uh, what about before <coughs> 1978? I'll, I'll answer it off the air, David. And I'll get off the line and let you, okay. let you do your work. Hey, man, thank you so much because you brought me out of that church. Hey, praise God. God. He brought you out. Thanks, man, hey, and I'll answer bye your bye. question. Okay, bye. I don't know what he said. All right. Uh, you, what the LDS would say to that answer, if I was an LDS missionary and someone asked me that, I'd say, well, uh, Mr. Jones, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when w we believe that when someone dies who's LDS and they've gone through the temple and received all the proper ordinances, that they are put in a mission field in the hereafter. And their mission, missionary journey is going to be to go to the spirits that are kept in prison who didn't have the priesthood or didn't, weren't baptized LDS and to teach them the Mormon gospel. And if they receive that Mormon gospel, that black man who died in, in 1977, then he will have accept the gospel and then he'll wait in prison for somebody to go into the temple and to do all the vicarious works for him in his name. What that means, Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones, is that somebody will go into the temple after they've paid their 10% tithing and wear the garments and everything, and they will take upon that black man's name of 1977 who died. 
And then they'll be baptized in his name. And then they'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They'll, they'll actually lay hands on that Mormon's uh, head. And they'll, in his name, bless that black man who's now dead. And then he'll also receive the priesthoods. The Aaronic and Melchizedek. And he'll also be sealed to his wife, the new and everlasting covenant. And then that black man who's in prison will look up to God and say, I accept that. And God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on up. And so he'll get to move on up. And that's how the LDS would answer um, what happened to all the black people prior to 1978 who died. Okay? But the Bible, unfortunately, gives us no such plan. The Bible tells us that, give me the quotes. Somebody, I miss it every time. Now is the day of judgment. I mean, not the life and then, then comes judgment. Anybody have the reference? Hebrews 9.27. So let me just read it really quickly. And that was from Robert, who is a walking scholar. He's also quite handsome. Hebrews 9.27. Thank you. And it says, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And so... Christians, no, there is no vicarious work being done post-mortem for people who did not receive. Now, now what, how the LDS used to win in with this doctrine that they teach is, well, what about the poor aborigine? What about the billions of people who never have heard about Jesus Christ and who die without knowing his name? Do they just go to hell? Well, we have to remember a number of things. Romans chapter 1 teaches us many things, that we have truth placed on our heart, that we can see God in the cosmos, that we, can have, we have his law written on our hearts and in our minds, that, we, um, that there are many places where we have an opportunity, even if we are pygmies in the darkest of Africa in the year 1710, we still have an ability to acquiesce to that spirit of God calling to us. And God is a just God. He is not an unjust or unfair God. So he will deal with all of us, loving us, according to everything that's been given. And it is going to be, however, and only, however, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that anybody will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So God works that out, but there doesn't need to be an answer for it through some uh, temple plan where all these works are done by people who have to pay tithing to be able to get in. So uh, I hope that makes sense. Marty wants to know where the Bible rebukes polygamy. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, it just talks about uh, polygamy uh, as uh, a factor that was evident in the children of Israel. It talks about that in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve not Adam and Eve and Sharon, uh, which would have been my plan had God been listening, but no, I'm just kidding. Joke! Sorry. And uh, God had a perfect plan, Adam and Eve. And, and that is it. It was the first polygamist was from the lines of Cain. It was Lamech. And he was the one who started taking on multiple wives. And we know Abraham and we know some of the fathers of the faith. They took on multiple wives. God never tells them to. It was always man's idea. And it always worked out to be very troubling for people. But nevertheless, in, turn, in terms of rebuking, it's not there. Okay? So Tina in American Fork on line one. First time caller, Tina, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Tina. Hey, I'm turning my volume down. I can barely hear you. I can barely hear you, so we'll talk loud and clear. Okay. My question for you is, I was born and raised LDS until I was about 16. Um, not raised in Utah, 
but when I moved back to Utah, just didn't work for me. Now, 25 years later, I, um, I worship at a Presbyterian church, and a couple of weeks ago, or last week, you said when Jesus comes back, he's going to be an angry Jesus. Yeah. Do you not like that? I don't like that. <laughs> well, you got to remember... I always was in... I, it was also always a fearful thing for me anyway. Well, Tina... He's not going to be angry at you. Okay? That's not the thing. You don't need to fear God. Once you have accepted His solution to our sin, you do not have to fear Him in that sense. He's coming back in anger against the world that, that turned against Him. The Mount of Olives is going to split in two. The, the world is going to be opposing Israel and are going to stand ready to obliterate them off the face of the earth. And He is going to trample like He was in a wine press. And he's going to show them that Israel are his covenant people. They were his brothers. And he does not go south on his promises. And so even Israel are going to come up and say, what are these marks in your hands and your feet? But, so he's not going to even be angry with his covenant people. He's not going to be angry with people who have received him. He is going to be angry with this world. And he's going to have good reason for it. And by that time, I think you'll probably agree with that. Which, and as you know, being raised LDS, is kind of a fearful thing anyway. Yeah. And so that struck a real chord with me. Well, Tina, don't focus on that because that really was, really take the context of that. The context okay. was he's coming back to a world that is not going to have his bride in it. The bride will be removed from this world at that time. You are a sinner saved by grace through his uh, faith in his shed blood, and you are loved by him. You are his children. You are his lamb. You are his love. He is not angry with you. You have absolute reassurance and peace. You have your calling and election made sure through him. You don't need to worry about that comment I made. But you know who does need to worry are people who refuse him. I mean, there's a, there's a great talk. You can look it up on the internet Call uh, something in the hands of an angry God. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Listen to that talk or read it and it will terrify you because God is still a God of wrath. He does not condone un, uh, sin that is not fixed, Tina, but he fixed your sin through his shed blood of his son. So you do not have to worry, okay? And that is what I have been believing for years and years and years. Good. And so when I interpreted what you said, it was just like... You interpreted oh, it incorrectly. No, not back there. You Just forget you know? that interpretation. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Tina. God bless. And God bless you. Thanks. Bye. We're going to Nicholas in Salt Lake City. First time caller. But first of all, I have to go to question. How do LDS explain the curse of Cain, black skin, since the flood killed off everyone besides Noah and his family? The way they explain that is that Ham married a woman named Egyptus. And Egyptus uh, was Egyptian. And she carried forth that black skin to, uh, through the flood. That also, the idea, the LDS teach that Cain didn't die, at least some of them used to. So he was clinging to the bottom of the ark while it went through the sea. And then he came up after the ark landed on dry ground, wiped himself off, ticked his heck, 
and went and found another bride somewhere, and then that's how the black race continued on too. One of those two answers are what the LDS would say. Uh, Nicholas, uh, we're going to Nicholas. You're on Heart of the Matter, Nicholas. Hi, Sean. Hi. I have uh, your quote um, from uh, about this, uh, uh, somebody called in about this patriarchal blessing and men on the moon and so forth. Oh, good. Let's hear it. Yes, this is from Oliver B. Huntington. Okay. Okay, he was a close associate of Joseph Smith and many of the early uh, Mormon leaders. He was never a general authority, but he was a faithful Mormon all of his life. And this quote is from the Young Women's Journal, which is an LDS publication, volume 3, page 264, year 1892. And here is the quote. May I read it? Yes, please. He said, Nearly all the great discoveries of men in the last half century have, in one way or another, either directly or indirectly contributed to prove Joseph Smith to be a prophet. As far back as 1837, I know that he said the moon was inhabited by men and women the same as this earth, and that they lived to a greater age than we do, that they lived generally to near the age of 1,000 years. He described the men as averaging near six feet in height and dressing quite uniformly in something near the Quaker style. In my patriarchal blessing, given by the father of Joseph the prophet in Kirtland, 1837, I was told that I should preach the gospel before I was 21 years of age, that I should preach the gospel to the inhabitants upon the islands of the sea and to the inhabitants of the moon and even the planet you can now behold with your eyes. The first two promises have been fulfilled and the latter may be verified. From the verification of two promises, we may reasonably expect the third to be fulfilled also. Close quote. That is awesome, Nicholas. Thank you for doing that research and calling with it. You're very welcome. And also, you can I, one more comment? Yeah. Um, you talked about uh, having your calling and election made sure. Yeah. Uh, that is called the second anointing or the fullness of the priesthood. It is still done in temples today that have a holy of holies. And, of course, you have to be, you can't petition for it. You have to be called out by general authorities or, or leaders of the church for lifelong service to the church. So it's still being done. Do you really, uh, do you really know it's really being done? Yes. I you, have a friend whose parents had it done recently, and they told him about it when he was leaving the church. Wow. Were they wealthy? I'm sorry? Were they wealthy? Uh, not, not particularly. Huh, interesting. And did they say that they received the second comforter, Jesus, in, in the they flesh? They didn't say that. They just, they just confirmed this in the ordinance. Oh, okay. All right? Really interesting. Thanks so much, Nicholas. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Adam Galt says, uh, well, you really need a Facebook page so I can spread the word. Thank you for your help, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We have a Facebook page, and it, it can't be under Heart of the Matter because uh, you have to have a separate kind of corporate thing for that. So it has to be under my name. And so if you look up my name in Facebook, you'll find that, that horrible thing. Uh, I don't do much on it, but uh, you can go, and we accept all friends. Uh, so, except for a couple who have caused trouble, but otherwise, yes. We have Paul, who's LDS in Orem, on line one. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you? Good. We're having trouble. Tell Cass maybe we tone it down or something. Good, Paul. You're on the air. Yeah, Sean. Uh, can you uh, bring out section, uh, well, 1 Corinthians 15, 40 to 42? Yeah, I'll look at it. 1 Corinthians 15, 40 and 42? Yeah, where it talks about the degrees of glory in the Bible. Yeah. Are, <laughs> are you, you really want me to do go to that right now? Yeah. All right, we'll do it. 
It says, okay. so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Is this what you want me to read? No, it says, and, in the, and there are bodies celestial and bodies terrestrial. What bodies are... The celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. What, what bodies is he talking about there, Paul? He's talking about the bodies of uh, heaven. No, and what are they, Paul? Glory. Paul, what are they? It's funny, his name's Paul. <laughs> Paul, what are they? What are they? Yeah, these bodies Different that are celestial... What, what are these bodies that are celestial and terrestrial? They're bodies of glory. Uh, what are the bodies, though? Well, are you a prophet? Dude, just answer the question. What okay, are the what, bodies? What are the bodies? Yeah. Uh, the bodies are, are different degrees of glory, a body of the celestial kingdom, a body of the terrestrial kingdom, and, through modern, and it says about as one glory is the glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. And okay. one star differs from another star in one glory. One star and one sun, right, and moons. So he's uh -huh. those bodies he's talking about are celestial bodies. He's talking about stars and moons and, and suns there. And what he's doing is he's comparing those to earthly, terrestrial. That's where we get terra firma. And Paul is comparing terrestrial things animals that have different skins, alligators, dolphins, cats, humans. There are different fleshes on the ter uh, terrestrial world, and just as there are different glories in the celestial world. That word celestial, Paul, is talking about the heavens. And Paul, all Paul in the Bible is doing is he's comparing that the resurrection, which the Corinthians did not believe in here, that it was going to consist of going from a carnal terrestrial body, a terra firma body, to a glorified body that is uh, uh, heavenly. And that is the comparison he's making. Nowhere in there is he talking about kingdoms. Nowhere, how do you, how do you nowhere in there do you read the word telestial. Nowhere. You're talking about terra firma and you're talking about heaven. Two different things. That's all it is, dude. That's uh, it. It's a lot more than that. It's not a lot more than that unless you're putting on spectacles and looking in a hat. Unless you're uh, changing the, the scriptures. Come on, man. I, I, I challenge anybody. Anybody. Thomas Monson, anybody. Daniel Peterson, BYU. You read 1 Corinthians 15 in context. You read it and you call this show next week. I have $1,000 for anybody that can prove that that is talking about anything but resurrection. It is not talking about kingdoms. And you have sorely taken it out of context and made a fool of yourself. Why don't you let go no, of haven't. the rhetoric? Why are you, why are you yelling? Because I like to yell at people who call and try to use the Bible to, to support their ridiculous notions to okay, claim that Mormonism is true. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Okay, my question is, what did the people do back in those days that didn't have the Bible? They, they had prophets. Well, if they needed prophets then, don't they need prophets now? Read Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, and that's all I can say now because we have four seconds. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind.
Start 